Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. My name is Ian Hamilton, and I'm broadcasting from Virtual Reality. We record VR Download on Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific in front of a live YouTube audience. I've never met my co-host, yet VR brings us together each week to sit down in the studio together and discuss the latest developments shaping the next generation of personal computing. I'm wearing a Quest 2 VR headset today with hand tracking, and I'm joined by David Heaney, who is traveling in the physical world last week to get a look at some next-generation VR displays. Heaney, welcome back. What do we have for our audience today? Yeah, it's good to be back. We've got a lot to talk about. Obviously, we'll be talking about the displays I saw at Display Week, but we're also going to be talking about the Quest V40 update, Meta's latest update on when Facebook accounts will no longer be required for Quest 2, a report that indicates that Meta has slowed some of its hiring and R&D due to the current economic conditions, and we'll also talk at the end about Project Cambria's depth sensor and the recent showings about how it can be used for mixed reality just as much as virtual reality. So we've got a lot to talk about today. Let's get into it. Yeah, I'm seeing everyone in our comments. Thank you so much for tuning in. A lot of regular viewers. I'm also seeing someone ask us whether we saw the information report that just came out with some Apple headset news but that is being delivered in a two-part report so we're very likely to get into that apple news next week this very first piece of news quest adds new security and accessibility features like the ability to lock an individual app behind your unlock pattern along with some more supported models for tracked bluetooth keyboards heaney can you give us all the details here yeah, as you say, we're getting new keyboards as well as the ability to lock individual apps. I actually think people haven't really noticed that that one of those keyboards that's added, the MX keys, is actually one of Logitech's highest selling keyboards. It's currently one of the most popular keyboards. It's recommended by a lot of tech journalists. So I think that opens it up to many more keyboards than before. It's actually the keyboard I use on my computer. So I no longer have to have a separate keyboard between my PC and my Quest because the MX keys actually lets you, there's a little switch on it that you can switch between devices. So I just press mm. one to go to my PC and then two and I'm straight onto my Quest, which is a real time saver to actually be productive in VR. But other than that, as you say, this isn't really a huge update. Obviously it is V40, but so it's, you know, landing on a uh, decimal number, sorry, landing on a big number, but it's not really anything from a feature perspective. It's more just kind of iterative, adding some keyboards, adding some security and privacy features, and kind of Facebook trying to keep up their constant release cycle. We've got more things coming soon to the Meta platform that we'll be talking about. Is there anything more uh, on this specific subject we should get into or should we move on to the next one? We can say that this is going to be helpful for parents so that they can lock apps like VR Chat and Rec Room and Horizon World so that their kids can't access it without this pattern. Because beforehand, you could only either lock the entire headset, which obviously isn't convenient. And if you're going to unlock it for the kid, they can just go on any app. Whereas now this is a kind of more granular control. So this is the first real step in parental controls for meta headsets that parents have been crying out for for months. Yeah, I'm going to have to check out the MX Keys keyboard. That looks like it might be a great addition. I have the three-device mouse, so that's really convenient for some of the same uses you were just describing, but I've kind of gone away from the three-device keyboards. Is it you're able to connect it to three devices, that particular keyboard? Yep, three devices. Let me just look forward. Yep, three devices, yep. Cool. All right. Well, the next bit of news, we asked Andrew Bosworth, the CTO at Meta, to just give us a check-in on whether they're still working on the 
login options for the quest without requiring a Facebook account. And in the sort of regular question and answer sessions that Bosworth does over on Instagram, he addressed that question and basically just specified that they're still working on it. And it sounds like there is all the data regulations kind of making that process work through that in a very methodical way to comply with all the different regulations. Right, Heaney? Yeah, that's the gist of his answer. But it also sounds like, even from a technical perspective, the process of actually switching over an entire account system is extremely complicated. But of course, this is quite ironic because it was just a few years ago when Facebook created this situation by removing the perfectly fine already existing Oculus account system and trying to force a Facebook login. So it's really a bizarre situation where they've created this, pushed it as a requirement, and then a few years later, they're now stuck with the technical and regulatory complexities of trying to undo the problem they created. I really would like to get a better picture of the changes in strategy that we kind of saw play out at Meta over the last year, year and a half, where they made that change with the Oculus system to Facebook system. They also started testing the waters with advertising in VR and then kind of uh, very suddenly shifted to this Meta rebranding. And the, the Meta first comments that were coming from Zuckerberg those had been going back a while. So it seems like this rebranding plan has been in place for quite some time over there at Meta. But it just seems like it clashes a little bit with this Facebook account requirement kind of ping-ponging users over the years. Yeah, I think if you note the way that this was announced back at Connect, it was announced, we almost didn't know exactly what Zuckerberg meant because he was announcing it in this portion of the talk that was talking about using VR for work. And I think what they've kind of realized here is if you want to ship these devices out and have them be used like laptops, which is what Zuckerberg talked about a few weeks ago, saying he wants Project Cambria to eventually be a replacement for your Chromebook, you can't require a social media login to do that. And that you can't have this situation where, you know, if you get banned or temporarily kicked off of Facebook, you can no longer use your work device. So they need to make a way where, and what they're clearly doing is where the device itself is usable without this. But then I'd imagine that their social services, such as Horizon, will probably still require that Facebook login, though that's just speculation on my part based on the kind of moderation system that you want to have in place there. Yeah, I think we've talked about that in previous weeks where there's a long evolution of access that they can kind of adjust for Horizon Worlds. There are some options for them to consider for that. Are we ready to move on to the next subject? Do you see any comments there? People saying that you can already unlink your Facebook account for your Oculus account through customer support. That is correct. But to actually set up the Quest in the first place, you st the Quest 2, you still do need the Facebook account. But yes, afterwards, once you have it set up, you can ask customer support. So that's obviously something where you know, they've, they've started to develop the systems required for this, but they're not ready to the point where you can go from buying a device off the shelf and setting it up fully without mm -hmm. that Facebook account system. Yeah, and I, I suppose a little note, uh, a lot of people I saw on Twitter noting the branding situation that we found over on the Metastore website where, uh, you know, they're still doing an active rebranding down the line, right? Where if you go and buy the refurbished Quest right now that they're offering for 249 they actually warn you that you might get a quest that either has the original Oculus brand on it or the new Meta logo. They're still rebranding the site itself to be focused around Quest and the Quest efforts. And a lot of people were confused 
by some of the branding stuff that was popping up on the website. We just checked in on it today and Oculus Go are still there. Oculus Rift is still there. But I saw some people were really confused about some of those things that, you know, Meta is just progressively rebranding everything one thing at a time. Yeah, well, they they'd branded it, uh, for anyone who's not aware, they branded it Quest Rift and Quest Go and sort of Quest Rift S, which is pretty obviously now that they've fixed it, suggests that someone on the website was told to do a find and replace function for all of the instances <laughs> of the word Oculus with Quest. And they didn't realize that that would mean that Oculus Rift would now be Quest Rift. And people were saying, you know, oh, have they renamed the, the Oculus Rift, the Quest Rift? I think that was obviously never the answer. It was obviously just a, a bad find and replace job, which is what clearly has happened here. And ops are obviously asking the, op- the question of how long does a rebrand take? And that's a, that's actually a fairly interesting question because this is kind of happening in real time, right? We, you know, they had such an unveiling back uh, late last year where they they literally like took a, a piece of cloth off of the sign in front of their headquarters, and that kind of kicked off this transition of having to rename everything all the way on down. And they've pointed out things like Oculus Studios are probably going to be a, a, around for a long time, right? Yeah, there's still, you know, the Oculus app, which we know is going to at some point be renamed to the MetaQuest app, but it's still the Oculus app. There's still the the one I think will stick around for the longest is the Oculus SDK, the kind of core integration for Unity and Unreal. Obviously, these days are trying to heavily push their non-essential SDK, the presence platform, but you still to use that that's running on top of the core Oculus integration. Yeah, I think we can go to the third subject. Yeah, so this latest report is kind of obvious. We kind of expected this given some of the macroeconomic forces, companies everywhere sort of preparing themselves for the specter of recession. And Meta is slowing, it's hiring, being more specific with some of its R&D and its projects. I was actually wondering, Heaney, if the move of venues to get shut down and moved into the larger Horizon Worlds app is actually an example of Meta doing this process of focusing some of its projects. Heaney, what do we know right now about exactly what the scale of Meta's investment is and how that might be changing in the coming year? I don't think that the venues thing would be related because things like that take such a long time. This is likely talking about future projects. We don't know the specifics. All that we have is that there was this Reuters report that says that Meta is cutting back or postponing some projects in its Reality Lab AR and VR division and halting hiring for many positions. And as Ian mentioned, this is not something specific to Meta. There is a kind of macroeconomic trend right now where you'll notice if you're invested in any tech stocks that they're taking a real hit in the past few weeks. The scale of kind of VC investment into startups is starting to lower and VCs are being much more careful. There is some sort of recession brewing or already happening, depending on which analysts and economists you ask. And so Meta is kind of having to, as a public company, it can't continue to kind of make investments when it knows that its revenue may be heavily affected. So it's having to scale down some of these ideas. What what we did get from a statement is that they are not at this time doing any job cuts. This is not something where they're firing people, but maybe some of the research projects they're working on, maybe some of the kind of less important, less obviously productizable ideas will be cut back, but we'll have to really see in the next year specifically what that is. And we'll have to see over the next sort of five to 10 years, how does that really affect this very dramatic scale of investment that we've been seeing 
Mark Zuckerberg talk about because he's saying that these, you know, as recently as a few months ago in the earnings call, sorry, a month ago, he was saying that he, they're going to continue to increase the scale of their investment. And we did get obviously that interesting statement that in Q1, they hired more engineers than in the entire previous year, which is, is fascinating. It's really interesting to put it in context of John Carmack's comment at last year's Connect, the the one that I sort of clipped out and put on my Twitter and really resonated with a lot of people where he points out, you know, he says, Mark Zuckerberg has decided now is the time to build the metaverse. And he's worried that it could cost thousands of people, I think is is something like, you know, I'm paraphrasing there. But if you focus on the wrong project, it could equate to thousands of jobs uh, at this point and at the scale that Meta is at this point. So uh, we will be curious to see how that plays out. The key language that they said was at this time regarding layoffs. So obviously, if, if things sort of accelerated or changed, that, that could change. Someone's asking why I'm using controllers instead of hands. Our app supports both. I'm just using it because it's easier to select images to cast. And I was trying to find a specific image earlier. So I can, if I set these down, it'll go straight back to hand tracking. Um, but yeah, no, it's just, just to point out that obviously as well as the investment issues in tech and the kind of current economic problems there, there's obviously a wider economic issue brewing across the entire world and especially the West with inflation, which is, it may heavily affect you know, the pricing of some of the future products, they may be able to do, they may be less capable of subsidizing Quest 3 than they were Quest 2 is the kind of takeaway I would think would be quite interesting here. Mm. And it may also mean that smaller companies are going to be even more affected because they're going to find that the price for components and their general operations is going to be a lot higher than maybe their investors may want to put up with at this point. Yeah, I'm extremely curious to see what the price lands at for Cambria, right? We've been told it's significantly more than 800 And then, of course, that report that we saw today threw out a multi-thousand dollar price tag uh, being targeted for the Apple headset. And we don't know where in that giant range of prices these devices are actually going to land at the end of the day. And it could shift dramatically based on component availability as well as just uh, competitive positioning so we've got a lot to consider there are we ready to talk about display week so let's start off with the first one here tcl presented the most compact lcd panel for vr we've seen yet and they showed a fully standalone prototype with five flow sized 2k panels Hini, give us a full breakdown of this so yeah, we're starting with TCL. They were showing two different displays. So let's just be very clear here that we're going to talk about two different displays that TCL is showing. And each of them is trying to do a different thing. So the first display we'll talk about is this tiny LCD, 1.77 inches. And the aim here is to be an LCD that is almost as small as OLED micro displays. So the idea is that this could enable incredibly compact headsets, but without the extreme cost of using an OLED micro display. So I actually have a little diagram here to show how the size of this display compares to what's used in the Valve Index, which is a kind of regular style display, the same that you might have seen in the original uh, Oculus Rift or HTC Vive, but obviously higher resolution. In terms of its size, though, it's the same. It's also roughly the same as what you see in Quest 2, although, of course, Quest 2 uses a single panel, Whereas the headsets we're talking about here 
it's a, using a panel for each eye. But if you were to equate the area that the Quest 2 each eye actually sees on that panel, it's roughly the same as the Valve Index. Of course, we know that the HP Reverb and, and Reverb G2 are slightly more compact headset. You know, you know, it's it's a slimmer design than the like of likes of Index or Quest 2. And that that's achieved through the use of this kind of smaller yet higher resolution panel, a 2.89 inch panel that is 2160 by 2160. So TCL's small panel here that they're show that they showed off is 1.77 inch. And you see it's even smaller again, but yet it achieves the same resolution as the HP Reverb G2. And it's 120 hertz. So it's got, you know, nearly the same refresh rate as the Valve Index and the same as the Rift, sorry, as the Quest 2. So they didn't show a demo of this packed into a headset. This was purely just showing off the display and its specs, which I'll bring up here again. But it's just fascinating to see what this enables, which is, as I said, headsets that are like that Panasonic one you saw that, you know, it's, it's almost just like a tiny pair of goggle glasses against your head but without the cost of a micro display so the second display the tcl showed was slightly bigger but still tiny compared to most headsets we have today in fact it's the same size as the vive flow which you'll have seen us talk about here before an incredibly compact headset but while it's the same size it's significantly higher resolution so the vive flow is 1600 by 1600 whereas this one is 2280 by 2280. So it's actually even higher resolution than the Reverb G2. It's higher resolution than what's rumored to, to arrive in Project Cambria. And it is, like I said, a also 120 hertz display. So what this could enable is headsets that are still very, very compact, like Vive Flow level compact, but with a much higher resolution. So maybe if there was a second gen Vive Flow or some sort of standalone headset, that could work. And interestingly, TCL actually built a prototype of a standalone headset that uses this display. So this is gives you an idea of what would a, a fully standalone headset that used the same size displays that are in Vive Flow look like. And here is the result. So you know it's it's kind of hard to tell without scale here. This was just kind of shown off on its own in a booth, but this is a, a functional standalone headset this is not a model this is an actual I, I was able to look through it briefly they did let me look through it very briefly and it is actually a functional standalone headset what, so what content did you see through through that brief was it it was yeah. it was it was just a 360 video it wasn't a mm-hmm. it actually does have tracking cameras here but they were the idea here was not to show this this is not a product this is not designed to be a product this is only designed to show off the display tcl would be selling the display to other companies who would make a headset the purpose of this is just to show this is the kind of form factor you can achieve with all the components in. Mm. Aren't there some visual artifacts that you could only see if you had full positional tracking, or am I, am I imagining that? Uh, I, not really, realistically. I mean, as long as you're rotating your head, as long as the image is changing, you wouldn't kind of, mm. there wouldn't be any extra visual artifacts introduced there, no. Rotating your head, obviously, was something I was able to do. Um, yeah, so again, it's, it, there was nothing that stood out as being wrong to me. I didn't get a chance to really try it out much, but it didn't, it seemed like a very sharp display. You know, this is a, a 2280 by 2280, higher resolution than the Reverb G2. It was a... Which of the panels was this? This was the larger of the panels or the smaller? Yeah, the larger, but again, it's still very small compared to almost everything. This is the the larger of the two panels, which just goes to show, imagine how small it could be with the smaller of the two panels. Yeah. So 
Yeah. So if you had to guess, do you think next gen manufacturers are going to pick smaller panels or the highest resolution possible? I think you're only going to see the that smaller panel here in things that are designed to be that are trying to be as compact as possible without any other purpose. So things that are media viewers like the Viflow, you know, what's the its its main purpose as a product is so that you can cast your phone screen to it and have a virtual cinema screen in front of you. When it comes to an actual headset that use that's designed for your room scale gaming, you're going to see this larger panel. And again, I'm, I'm saying larger because it's still very very small. These are mm. both very small panels. Are we ready to move on to your next subject here from Display Week? Yep, we'll talk about the JDI and Inolux panel. So hang on here while I wait for this image to load. But essentially, it is a 3K panel. So unlike uh, those panels, which were 2K, this panel is designed at pushing resolution. It's only ever so slightly bigger than the previous panels, but it's still small enough that it can be used in a headset that uses pancake lenses. So this is actually the same optical assembly, the same lenses and the same exact fabric that you see in the Vive Flow, but it's using this new panel, which is, as you can see over here, 3240 by 3240, a 3K LCD. That is higher resolution than the Vario Aero, which is the current market leader for resolution. It's higher resolution than the Vive Focus 3, which is the standalone market leader for resolution. This is a true next generation density panel at 2016 pixels per inch. And it's 2.27 inches in size. So it's only ever so slightly bigger than the last panel we saw, the larger of the two. So this is an incredibly impressive panel. When I look through this, this is the sharpest image I've ever seen in a VR headset that is perhaps other than the Vario headsets where they use a, a micro display in the very center. This could enable next-gen headsets that are still very compact, but that have significantly higher resolution than anything on the market today. Interesting. And, you know, the, the key here that I don't know if you mentioned here, but this, the previous generation panel from JDI is used in Reverb G2. So this is a very popular, like it's, it's used in a lot of headsets right now. We've recommended that headset for simulators. You want the highest resolution possible. And what you're basically telling us is that next generation simulator headsets could theoretically use this panel and be considerably more detailed, right, Heaney? Yeah, as you say, this is from JDI, which is Japan Display Inc., which uh, is Japan's largest display manufacturer. But there, it's also from Inolux. You'll notice down here that's not JDI, it's Inolux. And I went between these two booths and was like, wait a minute, these displays have identical specs. What's going on here? And, I, and what I looked up was that they actually have a LCD patent licensing agreement. So it's clear that you know these two companies are offering a this panel but they're pretty much the same so if you were a vr headset company wanting to put 3k displays you just can source from either company and you kind of get their both supply capabilities at once and it's very common for companies like apple for example and many of their iphones uses two suppliers for the displays and you'll see only the tiniest if any difference between those two displays but it just means that they have more kind of supply chain uh rigidity to any issues that would be caused by one of the suppliers but yeah, as you say, you would you would get a detail in simulators that would be off the chart in this, but you would really be at the point where any GPU would on the market today would struggle, if not find it impossible to drive this at its full resolution. 
this would really need to be used in a headset with foveated rendering to really be practical. We're at this point, this just goes past the point of practicality because even the Vario Aero, which is you know around two point eight k per eye, uh, and this is three point two k per eye, even that is you can't really run any serious simulator with any GPU at full resolution. We mm. we really are at the point we need foveated rendering here. Makes a lot of sense. Any comments there that you want to respond to before we move on to the last demo from Display Week? For the people that are listening out there and all, are sort of listening to us in the background, the first demo that Heaney mentioned, he actually got to see uh, a headset demo strapped to his head, look around a 360 video. This one looks like it is a table-strapped display demo, right? Like this Cor- is just showing you leaning over and peering into a display with it strapped to a table, right? Correct. This is attached to a table. You just lean in and look into it. And again, this is the sharpest VR image I've ever seen, but I didn't see it in motion. But I don't, I really don't think we're still in the era where, you know, pixel smear persistence is going to be an issue on something like this. It would be surprise me, especially given that it wasn't an issue in the HP Reverb G2, which uses the kind of previous generation uh, JDI. VR display. Mm-hmm. Just answering a question here, someone says, uh, asking about the brightness, saying not very bright at 400 to 500 nits. It actually is very bright for VR. You have to remember that humans kind of perceive brightness relative to the environment you're in. So if you're in a darkened VR headset, you don't need to have anywhere near the brightness that a television in a bright room has. Also, you'll notice if you look on uploadvr.com, we're not going to talk about it today because there's not really anything particularly newsworthy in it, but Meta actually revealed the specific specs of the Quest 2 display, and it's 100 nits. But the thing I will say here is that with all these displays, this brightness value is read in low persistence mode, where these displays are only actually illuminated for a fraction of the frame. And you can read the article for, for if you don't understand what low persistence is, for an explanation of that. It would take kind of too long to describe it here. But essentially, that means that if these displays were being used outside of VR, they could get maybe 10 times the brightness. So... 400 to 500 nits in a VR display at, in low persistence mode is actually very impressive, and you wouldn't find that dim at all. But the other thing I'll note is Quest 2 is using that 100 nits display with, with Fresnel lenses. If you're using pancake lenses, one of the, the big flaw with pancake lenses, the big trade-off, is that they have a very low optical efficiency. So you need pretty much four times the brightness in current pancake lenses at least, to get the same equivalent brightness. So a 400 to 500 nit display used with pancake lenses, which if you're not familiar with what we mean by that, it's just this new generation of lenses that can be much closer to the display and thus enable much more compact headsets. They need to be four times as bright. So a 400 to 500 nit display against a pancake lens would actually be pretty much equivalent to Quest 2 where you have a 100 Mm -hmm. nit display against a Fresnel lens. Very, very interesting. You kind of outlined exactly how we, the upgrade path that's very likely there for some of these headset makers. You ready to talk about the last display demo you had? Why don't you break this down for us? What did you, what did you see? So there's a company called Imagine and they make OLED micro displays and OLED micro displays are similar to the kind of normal OLED displays you'd see in smartphones and TVs, except they're not really. They're actually manufactured in a completely different process, which gives you a much higher pixel density, but a much smaller display. It's OLED on silicon, OLED 
manufactured directly onto a silicon wafer. So this company, Imagine, has been around for years. And since 2017, you'll find articles on our website and on other VR outlets and other tech news outlets talking about how these micro displays will arrive anytime soon in headsets. And it hasn't really happened yet. There, you, there are kind of a few China-based headsets that have this in it, but they're kind of flawed in their own way. And there are some... Uh, personal media viewers you know no head tracking just a very low field of view media view in front of you that have this but they cost like a thousand dollars because typically micro displays are still manufactured in very low quantity and thus have a very high cost but imagine is presenting the highest resolution micro display we've seen yet and in fact what they've done here is they haven't done that by increasing the pixel density they've just made a bigger micro display that has more pixels in it and so this thing actually is 2.1 inches, which you'll notice is actually bigger than the very tiny LCD we were talking about earlier. Still a tiny, tiny display. This is the same size that's used in Vive Flow. Again, if you don't, if you don't know the Vive Flow, just Google it and in Google Images on a, in another tab, and you'll see what we're talking about when I say it's a very compact headset. But it's 4K and it's OLED. And so with OLED, you get the contrast that is impossible for an LCD to deliver. And you also get kind of those perfect black levels. And the good news is that this is an actual RGB OLED, not a pentile OLED. So you're getting the kind of, theoretically at least, the full sharpness of LCD. But of course, the the interesting part here and, and the part that was in our headline and what you'll see here is that the board this is on, this OLED micro display here, is marked in the middle Steamboat. And that's a, that's a a that could be a complete coincidence, but... It probably isn't. And I was talking to <laughs> Imagine CEO, Imagine CEO, and you know, while he obviously could not confirm or kind of even deny what the partner was, when I kind of brought up the suggestion that it was Valve, there was no denial. And it was to me, and I think to other people who are speculating, such as you know Brad Lynch. Sadly, it's Bradley. I don't know the word to use here. I don't want to be too certain, but. It seems highly likely that the partner that this was developed with, they talked about this being developed specifically for a VR headset partner, was or is Valve. And that suggests that Valve's rumored Deckard headset, its potential standalone headset that could be coming out in future, may have this 4K per eye micro OLED display. And that would be obviously that would be a huge leap from what we've seen today. You know, I was talking about that 3K display a second ago as being incredibly sharp and beyond anything we have in the market today. A 4K display would get into resolutions that we just have not seen in any consumer headset. And you'd start to get, it would make, you know, a lot of applications that in VR are not practical yet because of the resolution would instantly become practical. But interestingly, Imagine also said that there was a second partner, a larger company, no, that now had become involved at a later stage. And so we don't know who that is. My personal speculation, and I'll be crystal clear, this is my personal speculation, is that that company is either Apple or Meta. And my reasoning for that is that we've a report last year from a supply chain analyst, Ming-Ching Kuo, indicated that the Apple headset will have 4K per eye micro displays. This is the only company we've seen showing a 4K per eye micro display that I know of. I, I could have missed someone. But we've also heard Meta talking very recently in that same article I was referring to earlier where they talked about the Quest 2 specs. At the very end of their presentation, they were talking about 
what is their next direction? What are they looking for in research and development? And they were saying that on this goal to getting to human eye resolution, one of the major areas of exploration was high density micro displays. I don't, if I had to guess, I would say that it was probably Apple is this other partner, but again, still entirely speculation. But I think what's crystal clear is that this original partner is almost certainly Valve and that this is unlikely to be a complete coincidence. Mm. Yeah, interesting. I've been pondering this, this naming scheme of Steam Deck for their portable handheld and Steam Boat. It's interesting. I don't know. I don't know if that's like just coincidence or if there's actually a theme there with where they could go. But I know that a lot of people out there are sort of rooting and have been rooting for a very long time here for an open PC standalone, a device that is as open as Steam Deck, but goes right on your head and runs some collection of apps, probably from the headset itself. But that is a very far away thing from what Steam is actually capable of and and what those games that run on Steam are actually capable of on the hardware that runs in standalone mode. This is a proof of concept board, right? Like you would separate this from some of the other hardware and pack it into a headset display, right? Oh yeah, 100%. This board is entirely used to just display an image on here. This is not in any way necessary to drive that micro display. In, in, a, in a headset, the actual display driver would be tiny. It would be you know, no bigger than that little rectangle on the top. It, that, that's not, this is not in any way a requirement to put it in a product. I love sexy, sexy bicycles comment here. It's a, mac, it's a macro micro display. That is a very funny <laughs> way of thinking it. They've basically scaled up the micro display OLED on silicon process to the point where it's now no longer really a micro display, though obviously it's still technically called a micro display. Uh, Artful saying that this display is from 2017. It, it is not. I was talking to Imagine CEO. This is not from 2017. It's possible that's, that the project may have began that early but this 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 display is much more recent than that they have said it's within the kind of past year that it's actually become a a real thing and i guess the most interesting part of talking to that imagine ceo was he said that imagine himself imagine itself does not really have the manufacturing capacity to make to make this at scale that's not what they're focused on they're focused on developing it and figuring out the process to manufacture it but another company, you know, the, the eventual end user, be it Valve or Apple or whoever, would then come along and fund the actual production of a fab to get this up and running and to produce this at scale. And, you know, I, I asked him off the top of his head, how long would that kind of take? What is the kind of time frame we should expect here? Is this something we can expect to be in products by the end of the year? And again, this was something where he cannot reveal specific details. These are not questions you can answer, but the gist I got off him just on a kind of very informal basis with was that the general time scale for this would be 18 months it would not be something that is happening overnight it would be kind of 18 months mm. and beyond see the thing about that 18 months uh timeline is kind of i i always hear that 18 month timeline from almost every startup company out there right like they project their business out 18 months and when you're a sort of investor funded organization you kind of set out a plan for 18 months of just what you're going to do with the money that some investor is going to give you that looks like an invitation for investment to me heaney do you think that's what that ceo is implying i mean perhaps i think it's more saying that this is not the point this technology is not the point where that can happen 
there, this is the point where it's no longer something that is still in research and development. This is something that is, if a company wants to, if a company wants to put a 4K OLED small display in their headset that they can actually spin up this manufacturing capacity, but that it is going to require a significant investment. And it's going to require one of those huge companies, be it Valve. People don't realize Valve is a multi-billion dollar company. If they want to invest in something like this, they can. Meta, Apple, you know, whatever, any of the other big tech companies. And you have to, because this is, you're essentially spinning up an entire new supply chain. If you look at something like Quest, yes, there is Quest 2. Yes, that is a slightly custom LCD. It's not, you know, off the shelf, but it's still building on top of the existing LCD manufacturing supply chain system. Same with OLED displays, you know, something like the PlayStation VR 2. It's obviously a, a novel display. We've never heard of a, kind of display like that that is an OLED with HDR at that kind of refresh rate and size but it's still building off the smartphone OLED manufacturing supply chain micro displays don't have such a supply chain they exist only for very small quantities for you know commercial and kind of enterprise and research use cases it, there's no consumer supply chain yet for them and that's what imagine saying that a big company needs to come in and build that and use their technology but actually build the supply aspect of it. Mm. So uh, for people out there, I don't know if we've already covered this, but just to reiterate for people, an OLED display, theoretically, if you think about the very dark levels of Half-Life Alex, the Northern Star level where you're going through a hotel, it's a very intense level. I won't spoil it for anyone that hasn't played it, but it is obviously a very intense level. And I'm thinking back to games like Arizona Sunshine, which level two, I think, in the original Arizona Sunshine game, you go into a cave with a lot of zombies coming at you in a cave. And in lots of the VR headsets over the last few years, I could only describe those scenes as muddled gray messes, right? And there's even levels right at the beginning of Half-Life Alex where you go into pitch black darkness, very, very dark. And in a VR headset, it is gray. And if you have a display like this, an OLED display, I think it's going to be a almost a night and day shift for you in terms of immersion in some locales. We've certainly lost something in the shift from OLED to LCD. The, the first wave, as we all know, of consumer modern VR with the Oculus Rift and HTC Vive exclusively used, and the PlayStation VR, exclusively used OLED. And one of the main big games, one of the biggest games you could get at the launch of the Vive and Rift was Elite Dangerous. And it was a game where you were stunned by the kind of true darkness of space contrasted with those, you know, that perfect OLED contrast, that's quite literally perfect, with the kind of extreme brightness of stars and kind of planets and explosions. And then with the shift to LCD, when fast switch LCDs became available with Windows MR, with Oculus Go, with Rift S, with Valve Index, with even Reverb G2, we got headsets that are more affordable. We got headsets that are higher resolution because LCD, because of the manufacturing kind of capacity and the, the incentives there, tends to be ahead of OLED in that. But we lost out on that real contrast in true blacks and people have really been crying out for at least a premium headset that offers this obviously it's not practical to expect this in quest 3 I, you know i could be completely wrong but i don't think we're going to see oled arrive in something like a 300 headset anytime soon 
But for enthusiasts, for the $600 headsets, for the $800 headsets, for the $1,000 plus headsets, we really should be able to get back to OLED. And mm. maybe micro displays are what will do that. But of course, with PlayStation VR 2, with you know regular OLED displays, we're going to get that whenever it launches. I know you've seen a lot more things out there at Display Week, and you're still sort of digesting them and getting them out there. There's one in particular that I hope we'll have out next week. You tried out the contact lens, right? Right, Heaney? Yep, and that's something we'll be talking about next week. Uh, you can look for my impressions going up on the site this week. It was a, a fascinating experience to try that. The teaser I'll give you is that it is real. It's, uh, it is not a scam. It is not wow. a uh, fake. It is genuinely a real piece of technology. Uh, it sounds worth the cost of the trip alone to get you to be able to go eyes in with an actual contact lens display. That's Mojo, right? Heaney, we'll get into that next week. Yeah, Mojo Vision. Like I said, uh, yeah, that'll be something we'll be covering next week. Uh, Hell Knight here saying that they're still using their Odyssey Plus due to its OLED. Yeah, that's that's one I forgot to mention. That was a big reason that people went for the Samsung Odyssey Plus on PC was so they could keep OLED. I know a lot of Elite Dangerous players, for example, opted for that headset for that exact reason. Yeah. All right, next subject. Let's talk about Horizon Worlds adding an asset library for quickly generating items and props within Horizon Worlds. So selling items via this library is not currently supported. Heaney, what do you see as the significance of this feature for Horizon Worlds? So yeah, this this really opens up the accessibility for actually building in Horizon Worlds because beforehand, you really had to be an artist to know to really put something together because you're just building from primitive shapes. To me, that was always the biggest flaw of Horizon Worlds. This isn't, you know, this is not a unique feature. Obviously, the other platforms like Rec Room have already got this, but this is something that, to me at least, Horizon Worlds has been crying out for for a while. If you want to build your own world, you want to build your own space, you don't have to design, you know, every instrument and animal and piece of furniture from rectangles and, you know, cubes and everything. You want to just be able to pull out these objects and place them down. And I think this is clearly going to be a key functionality for the entire platform's future. You know, as you say, there's no commerce at this time, but it's pretty obvious that this is going to eventually evolve into a marketplace. And I imagine it'll be more than just objects. It'll be behaviors as well. You know, Horizon Worlds, just like Rec Room, has an in-VR visual scripting system where to build functionality, you're not programming it with a keyboard. You're kind of visually attaching things to other things with kind of virtual strings and setting up a kind of a, a visual programming language. And I imagine that that kind of functionality will also be built into these objects over time, and this will evolve into a marketplace. And that's how most people will build. People will not want to build from scratch as if they're using a, a 3D modeling tool. They'll want to just place down semantic objects and, you know, most people that are using this. So is this the meta store? This is the Horizon Worlds asset library. I don't. Think I mean, it's is this a future? Does this become the storefront that Meta kind of like pushes a lot of its transactions through in the future? Like what you're describing to me, Heaney, a little bit is kind of like anyone who's picking up a headset isn't going to want to go to necessarily the visual scripting layer that you just described, right? Even if they've gone to the effort of making it so that you don't code, you don't actually have to know how to code in order to layer in logic into your world a lot of people probably aren't going to go to that layer or only go into that layer for a few minutes if you can get a lot of that functionality from the storefront isn't that a way to bring a lot more creators into vr 
Yeah, it is. But what I would say is a lot more people are going to use that visual scripting system than use Unity or Unreal. So, you know, already even the existence of Horizon Worlds and Rec Rooms visual scripting system means that you have this entire new wave of people who can create VR content, create their own multiplayer VR experiences without ever needing to know how to code, without having to go through the pain of dealing with the the not actual coding, but the just annoying complexity of Unity that's kind of, you know, its own topic. They can just go straight into VR and create with those scripting tools. But yes, it's correct to say that there's then going to be an even wider group of people who can just go straight from these kind of asset libraries and functionality libraries. I, I don't know if this is going to be called anything like a meta store, but didn't they say at Connect that it was going to be called Horizon Marketplace or something? I imagine this is going to be the same marketplace over time where you can also buy you know, clothing for your avatar and maybe entire worlds you can then customize yourself. And yeah, it seems like this is going to be the Horizon Marketplace over time. And mm. you know, if, if the announcements are correct that they're going to be able to bring this to mobile and to web, then this is something that you're going to be able to show off to more people than just that have a VR headset soon. Yeah, Horizon Marketplace does sound like the right the right naming for what they're going to do with this near term. I guess I'm thinking about long term how this exists alongside fully fledged apps that you go and purchase. Right, like uh, if you ever want to charge tickets for your worlds in Horizon, is that the only way you're going to buy access to an entire world in Horizon, or are you going to purchase things to I don't know keep forever? I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work. You know, we've talked about a couple different things that they could go, I'm but sure it'll be you all know, the above. Yeah, Mark Zuckerberg has been uh, you know the leadership over there at Meta has been very clear that new models are needed for sort of buying and selling content in in their future version of the internet. All right, we ready to get into this last subject? Any specific comments that you want to respond to first? Just having a look through the comment. No, I, uh, Artful Metamart. I like that name. <laughs> yes, Colin asking, what do we mean by visual scripting, like gen- generative art rigging? No, I just mean uh, as in, in the same way that you use Blueprints in Unreal Engine or the same way you have, you know, what is it called, Udon in Unity? VRChat. What's it called? Uh, sorry, VRChat. And then Unity has its own kind of visual scripting system. It's just instead of writing code or even writing scripts, you're just connecting components and logic gates in a kind of very visual way. If you, if you just look up uh, creation in Horizon Worlds or creation rec room visual scripting in, in Google Images, you'll see what I mean. It's it's much more clear if you just see an, an image in front of you. <laughs> Ops are saying the Sims DLC store has got this beat. <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting. That's a funny comment because I know Meta did hire a Sims executive uh, several years back as they were sort of pushing in, in sort of its directions towards Horizon. All right, I think we're ready to get into this last subject here, kind of a big one, to dive into the latest info that we have on Project Cambria. So Project Cambria has a depth sensor on it and cameras with three times the resolution of Quest 2s. So we expect that that extra hardware is going to provide true mixed reality and better hand tracking. Now, this latest comes from details shared by Mark Zuckerberg with Protocol, and there is a demo coming to App Lab uh, very, very soon called The World Beyond that will show some mixed reality capabilities on the current Quest 2. So, Heaney, break down for us what we know now about Project Cambria. Oh, so everything we know. So... We know that this is going to be Meta's next headset. 
it is going to be sold alongside Quest 2. It will not replace Quest 2. It will be significantly, that's a direct quote, more than $800. And it will be focused on remote work and on mixed reality, which is what you see in this video. But it will also be compatible with the content that is available on Quest 2. So as far as we're aware, and what that seems to indicate is that you will use the same store and you'll be able to download, you know, the games that you already have purchased and play them, you know, be it Beat Saber or The Walking Dead Scenes and Sinners. But then you'll also have this new category of content that's mixed reality. And the other functionality of this headset will be that it has eye tracking and face tracking to drive avatars and social VR. So, you know, right now our eye tracking is simulated based on me, the developer, or any developer in any app signing objects gaze priority and then as you kind of look near them your eye will focus on them our lips are not real they're just it's a machine learning model that is fed by our microphone audio and tries to come up with the most plausible lip shape but cambria will have true face tracking and eye tracking mixed reality and it's a more compact headset and rumors suggest that it will have higher resolution as well but the focus of this week what, what mark zuckerberg was showing off and what this trailer shows off is cambria's mixed reality capability and as you can see, there is full color pass through this time. It's not the Quest 2's low resolution, grainy black and white. And there seems to be in this trailer a kind of at least basic room understanding where, you know, they're pointing at the wall and the wall, the, the, the ray is colliding with the wall. It, the, the objects are coming out of the floor. The ball is bouncing against the geometry and that kind of interaction is kind of key to mixed reality because right now that's not something that's available in Quest 2. You can see the, you can, developers can make mixed reality experiences, but without making their own system where you manually tag your walls and furniture, it doesn't actually have any understanding. So I'm very keen to figure out <laughs> what they haven't really revealed yet is just what kind of scene understanding does Cambria have? Because you see here this kind of interaction, but how much of that is that you're manually tagging out your walls, which is what's shown to connect, and how much of it is this depth sensor that you know you spoke about that was the news, that this thing has a real hardware depth sensor. It doesn't have to use computer vision algorithms to try and guess depth. It has a real direct hardware understanding of depth. And the question, the open question for me is, how much room understanding does that give this device? So Bicycle is asking this fundamental question, and it's going right to the core of what the advance is here. So Bicycle's asking, are the plants and the guitar in this video real or digital in the headset? If they're digital, occluding the objects are pretty amazing. And you can see with Oppie here, every time, I think they're, I think that little creature here is called Oppie. I could be wrong on that. But at Connect late last year, they showed off a creature that looked very similar to this, and they called him Oppie, or called it Oppie. And... The other term that I'm hearing used for this is scene understanding. I heard the same thing echoed over in the Google I.O. presentation recently where their latest AR tech, I think, has some scene understanding, where if you can start uh, really realistically understanding where the walls are and where your roof and floor are, uh, when you set up a quest, you just set up the floor, right, and your boundaries, but this is sort of understanding your walls and your roof. And as soon as you have that, you can basically break down the walls on a dynamic, like per wall basis, right? If you don't want that wall, you can turn it into a field, right? And kind of kind of feel like that particular wall is an open space. And then your other walls are actually a real environment. And some really, really cool things happen. 
on the Quest 2, they have that introductory experience, BOGO, where uh, for a lot of people, that BOGO experience is the first go-to VR experience that I give them. The ability to kind of pet an animal that reacts realistically to your interactions, right? Uh, Lots and lots of people in the real world know what it's like to pet a dog. So having a little virtual pet makes a lot of sense as a first onboarding experience to show what the power of this is. And the occluding hands, Heaney, that's not going to be possible in a uh, traditional AR headset, right? Well, it is if it is if it has a depth sensor. It's you can mm-hmm. still you know that's all you're doing is kind of meshing out the hand and making sure that it's rendered on top. What the key there to make that possible is a depth sensor. To answer the question, yeah, the guitar is not real. The guitar is a, a digital virtual object, and that is why you see this kind of hand segmentation going on there. Opsar asks, is the resolution and distortion good enough to read your phone monitor through the pass-through? As far as we understand, yes. In the in the demo that was shown of Cambria, the very, very short clip at Connect, they showed the person using the pass-through to read and write on a notepad in front of them. So I think the idea is that, as Ian mentioned, the cameras are three times higher resolution and there is a color capability there too. So you're getting pass-through that is sharper than Quest 2, hopefully significantly so, and in color. So this is really a, a, a device that, you know, from what I'm, the gist I'm getting here is that this is going to be every bit as much a mixed reality headset as it is a virtual reality headset. And it'll be really interesting to see what developers do with this because, yes, we have links coming in a few months, but other than that, there really is no wide field of view mixed reality headset on the market. You can get something like a HoloLens, but it's, you know, thousands of dollars and, a very narrow field of view and it's not pass through that's kind of a see-through headset where you every your virtual objects will have be a little bit translucent they won't really be fully opaque this is one of the first of an entirely new generation of devices this and the links are the first wave and so we really are seeing an entirely new type of device emerging here in that if this was you know if this was sold without virtual reality capability if this was true obviously that wouldn't make any sense because you know you just have to make everything around you virtual for it to be virtual but even if this was sold just as a mixed reality headset this would be an interesting product on its own i noticed the text at the bottom of this video did say it was captured on cambria right yes this is the cap this is the first time we've seen the real cambria pass through the the one before was simulated but this is this is real what you see here is what Cambria is capable of from a pass-through perspective and from mixed reality. And so I think that's a really fascinating question going back to sort of like what is perceptually, how close is this going to be to reality, right? We're, we're so tuned to see so many AR videos that uh, they only capture the camera's view through AR and we're able to kind of like translate that into, oh, that's what it would look like uh, to our eyes. But in fact, because you're viewing AR through a phone screen, it's like very disconnected from your from your body. Whereas this, you know, our our eyes are capable of capturing so much more range than most displays and most cameras are actually able to capture and, and recreate for us. And so even though this might look good in a video, it might feel completely different to our eyes, well, right, Heaney? I think you can see the limits even in this video. You know, this is not already from this video that you can see this is not a perfect representation of reality. The colors are not 
a kind of the full range, the brightness difference. You know, you're not seeing full dynamic range here. The resolution here, it's obviously much better than Quest 2, but it's still, it's not real life. I, I would not expect, do not expect to put this headset on and, and have no distinguishable difference between real life. I do think by the end of the decade, we're likely to see pass-through headsets get to that point where you put it on and it's almost indistinguishable from not having it on in, the, in terms of visually. But in the near term, if you want the real world to look as good, you're going to need a see-through headset that like Magic Leap 2 or HoloLens 2. The problem mm. is that they're going to cost a lot more. Someone here saying, you know, it, it, does this make Lynx dead in the water? I don't think so because Lynx is $600 achieved through the lack of eye tracking and face tracking. This thing is significantly more than $800. It could be $1,200. It could be $1,500. So for a lot of people... It doesn't matter how good it is. Twelve hundred or fifteen hundred is just not affordable. Yes, this will be sold to consumers, but how many people can really justify that? Very few. Whereas six hundred dollars, that's a lot more. It's still an expensive product, but that's much more within the realm of actual affordability. So I see Links having a play. I think as soon as I saw that significantly more than eight hundred dollar figure, I became a lot more bullish on Links. To be honest, I think Links mm. definitely has a place in the market given the pricing of this product. Interesting to think about the pricing difference there, creating a space for competitors. Um, I, you know, how many of the people in our audience do you think are going to actually get this headset versus the next versus the next Quest? Right. The thing that I, is getting me is we're getting a pretty good picture here of the specifications, or at least the feature set of Cambria, but we don't have an, any idea what they're actually going to bring down into the next quest line, right? The, the mainstream $300 price range device. Which of these features that we know is going to be in Cambria do you think they're actually going to be able to get into that price? That is a fascinating question because, you know, we saw that report in uh, last week or was it the week before indicating that quest three is likely arriving next year in 2023. So, you know the, the rumors that we've heard are that Cambria Cambria will launch around September of this year. So let's say the Quest Three then launches in you know October November of next year. That's just over twelve months out. There is simply no way that they're going to turn a twelve hundred dollar or fifteen hundred dollar product into a three hundred dollar product in a year. That is not happening. So that you're not going to see magically all of the features of Cambria arrive in Quest 3. So it opens up that fascinating question, what will Quest 3 be? How much of Cambria will it get? And what will be left to this pro line? I think, I suspect that Cambria will be almost to almost to Quest 2, what Quest 2 was to Quest 1 in some senses, mm. in that it will probably have a much cheaper plastic design. I don't think we'll see pancake lenses. I think we'll see something that is better balance than quest 2 because they're, they're kind of less focused on this media viewing thing now it's more about room scale and gaming but i think we'll probably see the eye tracking and face tracking because zuckerberg has spoken so often about that wanting that to be in and i think we'll see color pass through but i don't know if we'll see the depth sensor i think what we may see is a less accurate room understanding and a bulkier more cheaper design and I think we'll still see these controllers with rings. I think we won't see those self-tracked controllers. That's what I forgot to mention. Cambria mm -hmm. has these self-tracked controllers that don't have these tracking rings, which mean that no matter what way you're pointing them, no matter where they are, 
they're still going to track themselves. It also opens up kind of other potential applications. I don't think we'll see that in Quest 3. So I think we'll see color pass-through, eye tracking, face tracking, and a faster processor. But I don't think we'll see the other improvements of Cambria. Do you think we will see the unpackaging of the controllers from the product uh, in, in any kind of near term, Heaney? Like, are, is Meta going to sell a headset without controllers as an option anytime soon? I think that. So I suspect we won't see that until it becomes until they can get the pancake lenses, or at least a design with similar form factor to pancake lenses into the main product line the quest so may may that be quest 4 or quest 5 because if you want to sell something that's without the controllers a big focus is you're going to want to kind of make it for media viewing and social vr and other kind of contexts we want people to be able to lie back on a couch or sit back and have that soft strap at the back or at least a very thin strap and the problem with cambria and the problem with any other design that uses the idea of cambria is that when you move that battery to the back you put this huge battery on the back of the headset you can no longer wear this thing lying down in bed or against a couch or, you know, comfortably at least. So to get to this kind of area where this is a headset that the hand tracking is good enough and the content is kind of appealing enough for mainstream, I think we're going to need to see compact form factor without that huge battery in the back. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Any comments there that you want to respond to, Heaney? Meow Mix saying this seems more like a tech demo developer headset. I think that's, I think that's an, I've, very valid in many ways. I think in many ways, this will be a development kit that is used to build in eye tracking and face tracking and mixed reality for when it does become available in the, the main quest line. And so, you know, the experience of using Cambria for VR, for purely something like, you know, Population 1, is probably not all that different from Quest 2. This kind of comes back to that question you asked me, do I think many people in our audience will get it? No, because I don't think it really will change the VR experience. It will be these other things. It will be this face tracking and eye tracking. It'll be the productivity applications of having controllers that can be used as a pen without this tracking ring. It'll be the mixed reality. It'll be the the kind of form factor that means that this can be worn comfortably for you know virtual productivity, for having your screens around you. Once that kind of... when What people will buy is obviously, yes, an accessible price, but I think a lot of Quest 2 owners will wait until it actually upgrades the core VR experience over time. And what this will mainly be in terms of outside of uh, productivity applications will just be a mixed reality development kit or for kind of mixed reality enthusiasts who have the money and really want to just get this experience at, at whatever price. Mm. Very, very interesting. We're obviously waiting for all the details on this. It's going to be out before the end of the year. Uh, that is everything Meta has said so far. But obviously, that can still shift given uh, any uh, anything unexpected there. Any last comments that uh, we should get to there, Heaney? Just, just answer sexy, sexy bicycle. No, Arrow is not standalone. It's a, it's a PC VR headset. Uh Rudel is bringing okay. up the idea that, you know, does this eye tracking mean that foveated rendering is possible? Could that mean that maybe Cambria can deliver a better experience from VR if, if that's something that works? That That's a huge open question about this headset. I think it's something we have not heard discussed at all from Meta. We know that PlayStation VR 2 is capable of foveated rendering through its eye tracking. But if Cambria is, Cambria, Cambria, I think I'm always saying it wrong, Cambria, then that's going to maybe allow it to actually yeah, 
deliver a much better VR experience if it has those higher resolution displays that are rumored. But obviously that will require developer support. So this is something that over time you're going to see developers integrate, which really just comes back to that point of this being more of a dev kit. And you know, if if those rumors are correct that Quest 3 is coming in, you know, a year and a half from now, then that kind of gives developers that year to get all these features in and then you know, regular people can actually get it in Quest 3, these fun- this functionality in the content. Here's an interesting question, Heaney. If you had a sort of like your tracked phone in VR, you, you could hold your phone in VR and see a one-to-one recreation of everything on the display and really interact with it exactly as you do uh, in the real world. Do you think more people would use that functionality than those who connect to their PCs to have a PC VR experience from standalone? That's an interesting question. I I think yes, but only because the current state of the software is so clunky. I think if if the headset itself had a very kind of if it had true multitasking, which is something we've seen rumored for Cambria, if you could actually just bring up the same apps that you were using on your phone on a giant display in front of you and kind of have it pinned there and, and you know, have your messenger there. If you had a keyboard, which you'd be using if you're using this for remote work, I don't think people would use it that much because why would you kind of pick up the little tiny rectangle when you've got the same app in front of you? But yeah, I think if the, an interesting question that's kind of similar to that is, is this pass-through good enough to see, read and use your phone without having to be tracked in any way? Because then you can just kind of double tap the headset, which is the current pass-through shortcut. Or, you know, maybe they have like a, a more convenient pass-through shortcut on the controllers. And you can just pause the game you're in and very quickly pick up your controller, your pick up your phone in your hand. And I think that's one of the real interesting advantages of this color high-resolution pass-through. A lot of the things that right now today you would lift up your quest to go and do in your room, those little quick things you would lift up your quest and go back into VR, you're no longer going to need to do that. You can just go into color pass-through, do what you're trying to do in front of you, and then go straight back into VR. No need to take the headset off at all. I think it was Immersed that had this feature where you could mirror your phone screen into their virtual workspace and it required kind of like you activating that feature from within the iOS system to stream your screen. But the phone wasn't uh, tracked one-to-one with its physical location in the real world. But to your point, Heaney, like it feels like if I could look down at my phone and grab the calendar app and pin that to my wall or grab the Netflix app and pin that in my space, I would have this giant screen all of a sudden. And I, I'm curious to see how like meta develops along those lines where they, they don't have the phone for people to use where Apple does. Yeah, I mean, I personally, I just don't see the idea of like dragging apps from your phone out as being better than just having them natively in your headset. If you have you mm-hmm. know, Google Calendar as a web app, you can just bring it up with a couple of clicks and point and pin it to your wall. Even an Apple's headset, I imagine it'll just be an app on the headset itself. I don't, I know you're very into this idea of you bringing it up from your phone, but I think these devices, if they're going to really provide value over time, they need to be good enough that you don't need to use your phone. The, fo- the software focus from these two companies should be that. The, the apps on the headset, be it web apps through Meta or native apps through Apple, are so good that they kind of are better than what you would be able to get by just dragging out a phone uh, mirror. No, I get Someone what you're asked, saying. Yeah, I, I just it, there's that whole aspect of I've pulled the headset off so many times to interact with my phone. I'm wondering how and when that ends specifically, and like which which ecosystem that happens inside first, basically. Yeah, I, I get you. I think it is. It's simultaneously a software issue, but it's also a 
a color pastor issue in a way. I, I, I do suspect that you'll be doing that a lot less when you're can you just look down and see your phone if Cambria is indeed capable of doing that. Very interesting question I'm seeing here. Someone asking, I think I've lost who, but they're asking, when do we think that Meta's main line of headsets will get a wider field of view? This is something that we've seen, you know, a complete stagnation in, to be frank, since 2016. It's Daniel Kaz asked the question, you know, he's saying, will it be Quest 4? I think the problem with the Cambria, the reason it doesn't have a, a wider field of view from, from the rumors we've heard, it has pretty much identical to Quest 2, is that they're trying to make the headsets more compact first. Their bigger priority is to get these kind of giant 500 gram bricks on your face to be a lot more like ski goggles or, you know, at least something that's a lot less cumbersome so they can be worn. But if Quest 3, for cost reasons, isn't using pancake lenses, if it still does have a more bulky front plate, but that is kind of balanced out by maybe a halo strap or some kind of like battery on the rear, we could see that that's where field of view does start to increase. Although what, you know, I don't think widen could be the right answer because we did hear a very, very fascinating answer last year from CTO, Meta CTO, Andrew Bosworth. When he was asked about this question, where he said he actually saw more near-term value in making the FOV taller. So where you can then, without looking down or up, always have a view in your peripheral vision vertically of the ceiling and of the floor. And I actually remember Valve gave a technical presentation back in, I think it was 2014, where they talked about this effect. And they said that they noticed in their perceptual research around VR that having a taller field of view was actually more important to immersion than wider if you had to choose between the two because of that exact effect. Because when your brain always sees that virtual ceiling above it and that virtual floor below it, you have this kind of real connection to being in a room. Although the key point there was, which you know a lot of VR apps still don't do today for some bizarre reason, is that your floor needs to be at the same position as your real floor. If you're walking around and you have this kind of nonsense that a lot of VR apps have today where you're kind of you know, you recenter and your eye height goes up and down, then that's not really going to work. You're not really, your brain's not really going to connect. But if you do it properly, like some great VR apps do, where the floor height is attached to your floor, which is something fully capable in the SDK, some devs just don't do it for some bizarre reason, then yeah, when you get that taller field of view, your head, your, your brain is always going to feel like it's really in that environment. So that could be something that we see in Quest 3, I think. I think you tried the XTAL headset, the latest one from them, and that had a dramatically wider field of view, and it, it looked visually pretty good, right, Heaney? Yeah, it was wider and taller, and it was incredible. It was the the fact that they were the first to achieve that wider without distortion, the first I know of, and I'm pretty sure the first was unbelievable. Obviously, that's a $10,000 headset, so that's something, you know, to be clear to our viewers, don't expect that in a, a consumer product anytime soon, but that's the direction this is going in. And I think we can expect that by the end of this decade, that's something that consumers have. And I think at that point, you know, the, the value of VR and the immersion is really tied to field of view. And we, we've forgotten that in the past five years because of this stagnation from the mainstream products. But once we start to get that, you're going to see, you know, you're going to feel a lot more like you're really inside these worlds and you're going to feel like you're in the games that you've been playing only on a little rectangle in front of you for so many decades. Hmm. You talked about frame rate potentially being an issue as you go into higher fields of view, right, Heaney? It's not. It's not a frame rate as much. It's more difficult to render in that you then, you know, if you're past 180, you have to render the environment behind you. You're, you have to render. You know, right now, if I'm looking this way and there's a kind of 90 or 100 degree field of view, I'm rendering a subsection of this room. 
But if it goes all the way out here and I'm now rendering 180, I'm rendering half the scene at once as long as there's not, I'm not, there's not something in my way. So there are serious challenges to get there. No, I'm saying more for comfort, right? It, wasn't there some discussion about comfort related there? Yeah, the there's there's some evidence that the vestibular disconnect is greater. So you know, as, as as I'm sure a lot of our viewers are aware, VR sickness is not caused by the hardware. It's caused by content where you push a thumbstick and you move forward, but you're actually your your inner ear knows that you're not moving. Your vestibular system is aware that you're standing in a room, and yet your your visual system is seeing you move around and. Motion sickness, VR sickness, is just the disconnect between what you're seeing, the visual system input, and your vestibular system. So if you get an even wider field of view, you're getting an even greater input from your visual system that is then contradicting directly your vestibular system. And so there's evidence that that increases motion sickness in some people. But I've also seen, I think, one study that suggested that for some people, and again, this seems to be person-dependent, their brain just says, when you get to a wider field of view, oh, there's so much visual information here that's telling me that I'm moving forward that I'm just going to accept it. And then they actually get less motion sick. But it doesn't mm. seem to be the majority of people. But if that, if, if the first case is true, if it is true that as you get, as this visual disconnect increases, as it widen, as your field of view widens between your vestibular system, we may see that with wider and wider field of view headsets, the, the number of people who are able to tolerate artificial locomotion, smooth movement, as some people call it, is lower and lower. And that's going to cause you know, profound issues in the VR space and that we'll have to see a move to more content that uses your real room and uses kind of cockpits and other methods to get around this than the current wave of most popular content where you move around with a thumbstick. Mm, interesting. It is such a fascinating question out there. Hi, Gamertag VR. Thank you for tuning in. And yeah, that question out there is so fascinating because everyone has been sort of aching for that wider field of view for for so long. Pimax has kind of made a market out of trying to ship headsets to people who really need that right now, PC powered. But what we're finding or what we're, we're hearing kind of from the manufacturers, or at least from Meta, since they're the ones shipping the most new headsets every year, is that they can't do that yet. They have other priorities to get to first before they can actually do the wider field of view. And so to that question, we don't know, right? There's these other things that we spent this whole show and previous shows talking about that they might actually focus on first. Uh, it's going to yeah. be really interesting to see how that happens over the next few years. We, we all obviously want it so bad, but and we don't want to be sick just to have that wider field of view, right? And I think the key is, you know, it, it's just so hard to get headsets that are, we all want headsets that are smaller and more comfortable, or at least most of us. And yet we also want headsets that have a wider field of view. And those are in many ways just directly contradictory engineering goals that fight each other. So that's going to be a huge challenge for the industry. How do we get headsets that are more compact and yet have a wider field of view? Hmm. Well, I think that's it for us this week. We've covered a lot of news from Heaney's visit to Display Week. We're going to have a lot coming up this week. We've got AWE coming up in a couple of weeks, where I think Between Realities will be there on site checking it out to see the latest that they have there. Later this summer, we have the Seagraph conference, where we expect to see kind of the very far into the future ideas for vr and ar and then uh, of course check uploadvr.com in the coming days and weeks as heaney gets into more of his demos from display week i absolutely cannot wait to read his impressions of that mojo contact lens come back here next week tuesday 10 a.m pacific time 
And then, of course, share the link out for this podcast to all your friends who are interested in VR. We want to make sure this is really digestible for all the new people getting into VR, have an interest in it, and you know, really want to grasp what's going on. Anything else there, Heaney? I think that's it. Thank you so much, and we'll see you in the future. Thanks, everyone, for watching. Again, thank you for the quality of comments, for all the questions. We really appreciate them. And if you are watching this afterwards or you didn't get to ask a question, feel free to comment. We really do try to read all of them, at least uh, when I'm not away in uh, display week. I try to read all of them. Thanks so much, everyone. (laughs)